Archiver is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council and is a member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. We take it as a matter of life now that sports is big business. Well, professional sports is huge business, but the rest of it settles in in at least big. College coaches make millions for coaching and millions more for shoe endorsements, TV, and camps. But it wasn't always so, which brings us to a recently discovered radio broadcast on New Year's Eve 1939 on WOR. It was a powerhouse radio station in New York City and flagship of the Mutual Broadcasting Network. Tomorrow night, 15,000 cheering fans will pack Madison Square Garden in New York City to witness a giant basketball doubleheader. In that cheering crowd, sitting in row C, seat 11, will be a modest 77-year-old man. Those fans won't know that he made possible the game they're watching. But you're going to meet him now. Sanka Coffee has brought him here tonight all the way from Lawrence, Kansas. Dr. James A. Naismith, the inventor of basketball. That's Gabriel Heater introducing We the People, a regular Sunday night broadcast. Heater loved uplifting stories, especially about dogs. But on this night, we'd hear from the man who today has a street, a dorm, and a basketball court named after him. But Naismith had issues with the game he invented. Some of the same issues we have today. The podcast is Archiver. The episode, Basketball, Big Dollars, and the Man from Lawrence, Kansas, me. I'm your host, Sam Zeff. The boys began tackling, kicking and punching in the clinches. They ended up in a free-for-all in the middle of the gym floor. Before I could pull them apart, one boy was knocked out, several of them had black eyes, and one had a dislocated shoulder. It certainly was murder. (laughs) Now it's hard to think of James Naismith anywhere but Lawrence. He's buried there. Former basketball coach Roy Williams used to jog to his grave, touch it, and jog back to Allen Fieldhouse. There's pictures of him on campus, seemingly always with a peach basket. And they just installed a statue of him in a place he might just find uncomfortable. But we'll get to that later. Naismith was born in Ontario in 1861. His parents immigrated to Canada from Scotland. Naismith went to school at McGill University in Montreal, where he played rugby, lacrosse, and soccer, but he excelled at gymnastics. He'd go on to get a B.A. in phys ed, and later go on to become an ordained minister and a medical doctor. Joining me now, archiver historian Virgil Dean. Virgil, I think that we sometimes think of James Naismith as a one-trick pony, that uh, he was basketball, and we don't think much beyond that. But he was a man uh, who had many interests, maybe the least of which was basketball. Yeah, uh, this was in the early 90s, throughout the the 1890s, and was certainly a a very, very caught up, I think, in what we refer to now as the progressive era, uh, where there was an emphasis on all kinds of of uh, reform efforts, looking at the whole person and making sure both spiritually and physically people were in as good a condition as they could be. And that would certainly be uh, one of Naismith's emphases. I think people forget that he was a medical professional, that he was a minister. Uh, He had a a life that was rich and varied uh, in a way that would be hard to imagine 
now. In Naismith's case, I think all these things blended together very nicely because it was very hard for him to, to talk about. There's a clean living movement. So it was very hard to be talk about the physical aspects without talking about spiritual as well. So all of these things kind of melded together into uh, very logical um, pursuits as far as he was concerned. What is the clean living movement? Well, it it was, seems like we might uh, yeah, use some of that now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there was there were a number of these uh, movements going on that were the YMCA was involved in a lot of these and which is where really Naismith gets his start. Uh and the Boy Scouts and a number of the they had the playground movement. Uh all of this the these kind of tied together into getting people to First of all, one of the things that would be promoting it would be they would be promoting temperance. I'm sure mo- in most cases, because this was at a time in the 90s and the early 20th century, where the temperance movement or the prohibition movement was very active uh, in Kansas and throughout the country. Certainly, he would have been a proponent of sports for sports' sake, not for commercialism. Uh, not for uh, promotion of the university, but because it's simply a, a good thing mm-hmm. for young men, and I think we have to stress young men at that time, right. uh, to do. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, there would be uh, an emphasis there on making sure the sport was something that could be competitive, but uh, with the emphasis on the physical activity part of it, and non as as nonviolent as possible, and of course that's where you get into some of the early rules that uh, Naismith is concerned about. Interestingly, this is at a time when when college football uh, was the death rate in college football was phenomenal. There's uh, actually serious discussions at the time of banning yes, college there football. Yes, very much so. Some schools actually do, or at least for a short time, and uh, of course Roosevelt is interested in what's going on at Harvard, his alma mater, and he even has a, a son, I think, at, the, at that very time who's involved. And he wants these kinds of activities to go forward uh, but and to continue, but he realizes that you can't, uh, you, you've got to bring some civility to it, too, and some safety to it if you're going to make it, you know, kind of reform it so that it can survive. And that's really what the in a lot of way, in a lot of areas, the progressive movement and progressive reformers are trying to do bring about reforms so society in general will continue to move forward and not, uh, you know, falter and die or go backwards. And some of those original basketball rules certainly speak to safety. Naismith yes. is is, yeah. is very aware of this at the time. Right. Exactly. So Naismith arrived at the University of Kansas in 1898 at a time when the world celebrated the Renaissance man, James Naismith more than fit the bill. Now, though, we celebrate him for the invention of basketball, a game that is global and growing. But unlike any other sport in America, there is a founding document and a founding father. People have known for decades that the original rules of basketball existed. Indeed, they were on a long traveling tour with Ian Naismith, James Naismith's oldest grandson. So we saw the inventor's blueprint, if you will, but until a few months ago, we never heard his voice. That is until that WOR recording was unearthed by a KU professor. Let's listen to the rest of it. Dr. Naismith, how did you happen to invent basketball? Well, Mr. Heater, it was in the winter of 1891 when I was physical instructor at Springfield College in Massachusetts. We had a real New England blizzard. 
For days, the students couldn't go outdoors, so they began roughhousing in the halls. We tried everything to keep them quiet. We tried playing a modified form of football in the gymnasium, but they got bored with that. Something had to be done. One day, I had an idea. I called the boys to the gym, divided them up into teams of nine, and gave them an old soccer ball. I showed them two peach baskets I'd nailed up at each end of the gym, and I told them the idea was to throw the ball into the opposing team's peach basket. I blew a whistle, and the first game of basketball began. And uh, what rules did you have for your new game, Dr. Naismith? Well, I didn't have enough, and that's where I made my big mistake. The boys began tackling, kicking and punching in the clinches. They ended up in a free-for-all in the middle of the gym floor. Before I could pull them apart, one boy was knocked out, several of them had black eyes, and one had a dislocated shoulder. It certainly was murder. <laughs> well, after that first match, I was afraid they'd kill each other, but they kept nagging me to let them play again. So I made up some more rules. The most important one was that there should be no running with the ball. That stopped tackling and slugging. We tried out the game with those rules, and we didn't have one casualty. We had a fine, clean sport. Ten years later, basketball was being played all over the country. And in 1936, I saw it played for the first time at the Olympic Games. And the whole thing started with a couple of peach baskets I put up in a little gym 48 years ago. I guess it just goes to show what you can do if you have to. Indeed it does. Thanks to WOR in New York and, I guess, Sambor Coffee for that 1939 recording. Naismith was in New York for a big college basketball tournament at Madison Square Garden, and as you heard him say, the game was played in the Olympics for the first time just three years earlier. The college game is faster now and not segregated as it was then. But when you read the rules, Naismith would certainly recognize the game he invented in Springfield, Mass. Recognize it, but he just might loathe what it has become. Talk about the suitors, the Aggies and the Braves. Talk about the Tiger and his tail. Talk about the Huskers, the Oprah Ruskin boys. But I'm over to make them weep and wail. Okay, feel like I need to tell you this before we go on. I'm a KU guy. I did the games on KGHK, the student radio station, when I was in school. I go to lots of games now. I have a Bill Self bobblehead on my desk. I pace a lot when the Jayhawks play. Having said that, I want you to listen to a little bit of audio from May 2nd, 2014, when they broke ground for the DeBruce Center, where Naismith rules now live. It was shot by the KU Athletic Department. Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to the groundbreaking ceremony of the DeBruce Center, which is another important example of the campaign far above the campaign for Kansas. The DeBruce Center will be a hub for students and for the university community. It will be a meeting center. It will be a place that draws visitors to the University of Kansas, visitors who want to see the rightful home 
of the original rules of basketball. The DeBruce Center will feature stories about James Naismith, about Fog Allen, and about the tradition of Kansas basketball that we all know and appreciate. That's a man named Kurt Watson who has raised millions for KU, followed by Chancellor Bernadette Gray-Little. The rules sold for $4.3 million at auction. The DeBruce Center cost $21.7 million. All the money was privately raised. The center is attached to Allen Fieldhouse, arguably one of the most valuable venues in college sports. Many millions of dollars for a couple of type pages by James Naismith. He didn't address the commercialism in that 1939 broadcast, but he had his worries for many years. Here's part of what he had to say in the May 1911 edition of the Graduate Magazine of the University of Kansas in a piece titled Commercialism in Sports. By commercialism is meant the paying of those who take part in athletics of any kind, either in money or in rewards, which have a money value. The subject, he goes on to say, is not an easy one to handle, for it is far from being settled. And then Naismith says this, There is not a governing body of athletics today, but would be glad of information leading to a solution of the problem in such a way as to advance the interest of the athletes and the sports. Sound familiar? We talk about these issues today. Should we pay college athletes as well as provide them scholarships? Do athletics add to the mission of a college? Is $100 a ticket too much to pay for a college sporting event? Now, Naismith recognized that people could make a living playing sport. He mentioned baseball as being far more a pro sport than an amateur one in 1911, and he talks about other positive things. But here's how he wraps up the piece. The college student is the hero of the high school boy. It is the duty of every student to align himself with the highest and most advanced ideals of sport as well as everything else. That's Archiver. The podcast is produced by Matt Hodap in the studios of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City and is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council. Thanks to our friends at the Kansas Historical Society for research help. Archiver is a co-production of Fountain City Frequency and Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seelan is executive producer. You can see pictures of James Naismith, and we'll post his 1911 article, all at FountainCityFrequency.com. For my favorite Kansas historian, Virgil Dean, I'm Sam Zeff. See you on the next Archiver.